Blog Talk Radio. and welcome to the 512th edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you American perspective of our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. You get your daily reading from me and other writer, excuse me, uh, you get your daily reading from me over at the Feuerstein's Fire blog. It's not just a podcast, it's now a blog. I uh, <laughs> sometimes I keep forgetting I'm no longer with Once a Metro. I'm no longer with SB Nation. Uh, old habits die hard. So it's a situation where um, I got to remember I cannot continue to say uh, I'm on Once a Metro anymore. So um, which is a shame. But you know, look, uh, certain things happen, and uh, I had to do what I had to do. Unfortunately, you got to have a conscience. You got to have principles when you are covering a club uh, no matter what sport it is because if you're not going to follow your own thing and your own beliefs and how uh, the sport and how uh, the club uh, that you cover is uh, you know being done in a professional manner then it's never going to get done and you're just you're just accepting the status quo or shall we say accepting the new regime coming in and you're just agreeing with them when you don't agree with them. So that's all you can say or do. Um, but chat room is open. You can come on in. Discuss amongst yourselves if you like. Uh, if you have a question for me, I'll try to answer it to the best of my abilities. Um, the Euro 2020 tournament in 2021, th- this, ga- this day, this Monday... What can you say between Spain and Croatia, eight goals, um, France and Switzerland, six goals, 14 goals in total. That one goes in the penalties. <coughs> Excuse me. And all you can really just say is it's amazing how many goals we have seen today and, and how deep into these matches we've been to um, – Spain defeats Croatia in extra time as they get those two extra goals. And France loses to Switzerland in the penalty shootout. 3-3 after regulation and extra time. And then 5-4 in penalties after the five regulation rounds that we saw. But I got to say. That, you know, this Copa America has been pretty exciting to watch as well. We're watching currently Argentina against Bolivia. And boy, what a big save from the Bolivian keeper right there. Point blank. Not just once, but twice. Stopping Argentina from getting uh, the opening goal here. And of course... Lionel Messi on Argentina, and he's still going strong on that one. So we'll see what goes on here with uh, Copa America. Venezuela looks like they've been eliminated 
from Copa America. So that would mean Josef Martinez of Atlanta United and Christian Caceres Jr. of the New York Red Bulls will be heading back uh, to their respective clubs, and hopefully they'll be able to go out and play um, this coming weekend. So we'll see what happens there. But uh, outside of that, outside of that, uh, it's just amazing to watch uh, these tournaments that are going on with these national teams. And let's not forget, uh, very soon, the CONCACAF Gold Cup is coming next month. Uh, the uh, qualifiers are going to begin on Friday, July the 2nd, and it's going to be exciting to watch to see who will advance to the, uh, last, the last position in groups A, B, and C. So just quickly, um, the second and the third will be those six matches, three on Friday the 2nd, three on Saturday the 3rd. Um, to advance into Group 7, Haiti versus St. Vincent Grenadines and Bermuda versus uh, Barbados. To advance into the 8th uh, group, Guatemala versus Guyana and Guadeloupe versus Bahamas. And then for those teams going into Group 9, Trinidad and Tobago versus Montserrat and Cuba against French Guyana. Group 9 winner will advance to Group A. Group 7 winner will advance to Group B. And then, of course, Group 8 winner will advance to Group C. And there it is right now. Argentina on the board. They're up 1-0 on Bolivia. So at the moment, they are off and running uh, Argentina with that lead. You know, when, when I set sights on my intro monologue, I, you know, what, what, what do we talk about? We talk about what affects the game, not just in this country, but what it may affect the game in uh, other parts of the world. Most of the time I talk about what goes on in the, in here in the, in the U.S. or within CONCACAF. But here's something that really um, piqued my interest. Maybe it's not the biggest deal in the history of the sport, yet if you think about it, it might be. And that is, of course, the the erasing UEFA saying goodbye to the away goals rule. This was seen on ESPN FC with Kay Murray, Shaka Hislop, and uh, everything else, uh, whoever was on the panel on that day. Um, I caught it on uh, ESPN's uh, website in their soccer department. And my question to UEFA is this. Why are we getting rid of away goals? Why are we getting rid of away goals rule? This is, in my opinion, one of the most important tiebreaker systems that I believe is important when it comes to club international competition it's been used successfully many many times in the UEFA Champions League the Europa League CONCACAF Champions League when we get to the knockout stages and I believe during regulation period it's very important to see what will happen 
and at the same time, who will be the strongest to survive? Because away goals is a big-time tiebreaker that I, I don't think should be, you know, treated lightly. And if you watched the interview with Kay Murray, who was the host of ESPN FC at the time, and she was asking Shaka Hislop, you know, what's your opinion? He basically says, look, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I agree with that. Don't, don't fix this situation. Now, in the past, if you're going to look at CONCACAF in the past, Away goals was never used in the Champions League or at that time, the Champions Cup. It it just was never used away goals. Sure, there's aggregate, straight out aggregate, but never ever was away goals used back in the day. When it became a Champions League, then all of a sudden, away goals rule came into play. And my hope for CONCACAF is that they don't follow UEFA in this sense. I think it's a tiebreaker that's, you know, that should never be removed. I think you can still see great battles in the Champions League when we get to the stages. The only thing or the only difference that I would say is this, when we are getting rid of away goals because the second leg is where you see extra time come into play. And then if it's still even after extra time, you go to penalties. CONCACAF at the time said away goals will be used in tiebreakers in regulation time, but when we get to extra time, it gets removed. Because in the first leg, everything ends in regulation. Nothing happens afterwards. There's no extra time in the first leg. There's no penalties in the first leg. Away goals remains as is, but the extracurricular stuff, if the aggregate remains even, everything gets taken away in extra time, and whoever wins, wins. Personally, I think that's a great idea if UEFA adopts it. Now, UEFA has done this in the past, has done this, I shouldn't say just in the past, but UEFA has basically kept away goals if everything was even Steven after the second leg in regulation time. If the away goals rule was even, if the regular aggregate was even, they would go into extra time with away goals. And to be fair, and to be honest, that was wrong. Because away goals should never, ever be involved in extra time. Because that's not fair for what's going on in, you know, in regulation in the, first, you know, in the first leg. 
because you're not going into extra time after the first leg. It's only after the second leg is over with. So all I'm saying is, is with UEFA, to get rid of away goals, the only time you should get rid of it is when you get into extra time if the match if the sec if the tie goes into extra time in the second leg, that's when you should get rid of away goals. Because away goals should have been thrown out and it should not have stayed after regulation is over. It's a situation where I believe as I've said before, this is a mechanism that should never have been erased in UEFA at all. I mean, how many times have we seen, you know, the, the threat of away goals counting for advancing a club past their opponent and going into the next round? And how funny would it have been with this past Champions League in the round of 16 – because Club America was up on aggregate against Olympia of Honduras. And then that was on the road to make it 2-2 on aggregate, yet Club America won that tie going back home on the away goals, because they scored one away goal more than Olympia did. And that was exciting and everything. Even though Club America did not play a great first, uh, you know, second leg at home, because Olympia scored a second goal away, obviously nothing would have happened. Away goals would have been even. But they would have led on aggregate 3-2. And they would have eliminated and upsetted Club America. Since then, Club America has had a better uh, situation against Portland Timbers. They're in the uh, semifinals, which will be sometime uh, later uh, this summer. They'll be hosting a match and then uh, going on the road at the Philadelphia Union. But the truth is, is that could you, I mean, there's excitement there. There is excitement there. And we really, really have to make sure that UEFA hopefully can bring it back instead of getting rid of it. And I just think if it ain't, like I agree with Shaka Hislop, if you're getting rid of away goals, you think it's going to fix the Champions League or the Europa League, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So I would suggest for UEFA, please bring it back. Don't scrap it. It's an important mechanism within international club competitions. And if none of the other confederations are getting rid of it, well, then you shouldn't either. And that's just my opinion, of course, in my uh, opening monologue. Join me right now, Carter Krishnayer from World Soccer Talk, as we talk about MLS bringing in a brand-new Division Three league to help with their MLS clubs that are part of USL as well as other clubs that wish to join. And don't forget, Carter Krishnayer will be joining me for Gold Cup post-match shows uh, next month. Kardik, thanks again for coming back on. And let me just say that... Uh, you know, I'm all for assisting and helping American players or players that don't regularly get minutes in a, in a regulation MLS match. 
How important was this whole situation that came about? And, and at the same time, do you think that you know, does it have to be Division Three? Can't we just create another division for this, or can it be just, um, let's say, for the heck of it, a reserve league? Uh, no, I don't want a reserve league because I think the important thing, and you saw this with your own uh, Red Bull 2 team, with, with Aaron Long and with Tyler Adams, among others, getting games against independent USL teams with full professionals, with guys that are developed, that are playing um, to try and win matches, I think is really important. So I, the idea, you know, there are a lot of independent soccer people who, um, quite frankly, I mean, and I, I'm aligned with them on a number of issues, right? Pro-Rel, calendar change, uh, solidarity payments, et cetera, breaking up kind of the cabal that runs U.S. soccer. But where I part with them is they have this, this view that reserve teams should be in reserve leagues and that somehow if you have a reserve team um, in your league, then it's not really, you know, a, a, a valid team. And I, I completely disagree with that. I, I want to have, I in fact believe every MLS team should have a reserve team. And if they're not committed to an academy and reserve team system, then they should be in major league soccer and that they should be getting games against competitive teams. So, um, no, I don't want to see the reserve league again. We tried that. Uh, we didn't develop players very well out of it, to be honest with you. Since we've had reserve teams in USL, the Tyler Adamses, Darren Longs, the Alfonso Davies, among others, have developed. And I think uh, it's an important mechanism going forward. And I agree with you, actually. You know, look, I, I want to see these young players that are coming up through the academies of MLS clubs to come into a situation where they're getting meaningful minutes, advancing their technical abilities, going out there and absolutely doing a job. But then the question is this now, and I'm not saying we have to conform to an England, you know, they have at least seven to 20 to 50 billion professional leagues below, you know, Premier League, Championship, League One, League Two. I'm not, I'm not advertising we should have at least 20 to 40,000 leagues, you know, in every single division in the country. But do you feel, because as much as we're seeing with U.S. soccer, you know, they are the governing body of the, of the game here in our country, obviously, we are now having a logjam, and obviously it hasn't been uh, sanctioned yet, but we have NISA, we have USL League One, and with this new MLS Division Three League, I mean, can we really afford to have MLS putting this brand new lower league in Division Three? Isn't there like a, a logjam here? Isn't that enough? Can't, isn't it time for U.S. soccer to say, you know what, we have too many leagues in one division. We're going to have to make more divisions just so we can spread things around. Yeah, so let's, um, let's see what USL has to offer at the Division Three level if they don't have reserve teams. I mean, they uh, – they, launched their D3 league in 2017. It started playing in 2019, but they launched it in 2017. I think specifically the box NISA out of the, out of the game. That was their goal. USL, look, I, I know a lot of independent soccer people have, uh, have some sort of affection for USL after the last few years. I think USL has done a lot right. Uh, but, uh, but they also are just as into kind of protecting and their, their space and territorialism 
as uh, MLS is and as U.S. soccer is. I, I want to see what they're able to do with D3 uh, that they have left over after MLS launches theirs, because I agree, there are too many leagues in the D3 space. I would like a good independent league made up of independent clubs like NISA, and then a league that emphasizes player development at the Division Three level, which I think is probably going to be this MLS league, this new MLS league. So the idea of having kind of random clubs who pay a franchise fee to USL um, in the D3 space, I, I don't think that's necessary. They can go to one of the other two leagues, and if they want to be D2, they can go to USL. And, and I think USL is doing a very, very good job, very credible job at the D2 level with independent uh, entities with their franchise. I'm not going to call them independent clubs. That's not what they are in USL. They're independently owned franchises uh, in USL. And I think at the D2 level, USL has a lot of momentum. And they've uh, done something really good, I think, with their with their play this year. They regionalized the league more than they had previously. And this is ultimately what I was hoping, whether it was USL, which it is now, or NASL in the past, who obviously I worked with, would do with Division Two: Regionalize it, make it uh, maybe along the lines of college sports conferences. USL has done a wonderful job of that this year at the D2 level. The scheduling is smart. It makes sense. I think it, 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 it helps teams because there's uh, reduced travel, but also in this era of COVID, I think that's probably what prompted it, but uh, makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, I agree with you. There are too many D3 leagues. Let's see if USL even belongs in the space. Uh, they're doing a credible job with D2. Maybe they should focus on that. That has a very different function than D3, which is um, player development, which we'll see from the MLS league and independent clubs that are maybe not, quite honestly, at the business level in terms of their ability to spend and travel and do things um, professionally, front office-wise, as the D2 teams in USL. And now I'm going to quote Mark Abbott. This is from the article from Stars and Stripes of SB Nation, written by uh, Justin Moran. Uh, basically from Mark Abbott, who is the uh, MLS president, deputy commissioner, Mark Abbott. Um, We're excited to launch a new league to complete the professional pathway between our academies and the MLS first teams. Uh, In addition to providing more opportunities for MLS caliber players, the new league will develop a diverse talent pool of coaches, referees, and front office executives, while also attracting fans who previously were unable to support a local club in their hometown. Um, you know, I, I think that's the most important thing there, Cardick, is that it's not just the players that are going to get an opportunity to advance their um, their technical abilities and to get onto a, you know, senior MLS roster. But, you know, so how many times have we complained about officiating at times? I mean, obviously, it's, it's not like at the level it used to be back in 1996 when MLS got started. Now we're seeing better referees coming up through the system, but occasionally you'll get that one bad referee, maybe in USL, you know, as they say uh, back, you know, back in the day, you know, they're cowboying themselves in this, in the situation, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, American fans complain too much about the referees. I think the standard of officiating has gotten better. I think in a lot of cases, um, our fans don't understand officiating and don't understand how difficult it is sometimes to make these decisions. Um, Howard Webb and NPRO have implemented the VAR tool for MLS, which I think has 
um, has has done well and does not have all these crazy stoppages and, and lines being drawn like we've seen in the Premier League and now in the Euros. Although the Euros, I think the VAR is working better than it did in the Premier League. And I have to say, Bundesliga, which I watch, um, and, and Serie A, they, they got VAR right. It's just the Premier League that had it messed up. But I really like how they've implemented it in MLS. And I, and I think uh, the officials are getting better all the time. We're getting better and better U.S. officials, better Canadian officials, better CONCACAF officials. I, I feel like um, the, uh, the the slogan CONCACAF is being overused. You see, uh, hey, look, uh, I, I talked to, uh, I, I don't want to pull rank here, but I, I talked to my my good friend Taylor Tolan the other day about the official in the uh, Denmark Wales match, which he called. And uh, that's around the 16 euro match, you know, highest level in international football, basically. And the, the official was terrible. I'm uh, not saying that, we, that, that Denmark's 4-0 wasn't earned, but there were a lot of talking points from that game. So I think you get some bad officials everywhere. I think our standard of officiating is improving, and, and I agree with Deputy Commissioner Abbott. This is an, another proving ground for officials. It's important officials get games. And, and I've, uh, in my role, other role other than writing and, and kind of administering leagues and working with teams, I, I've learned a lot about officiating. I would say the same things about officials uh, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, that, that a lot of fans say now. But I, I'm learning how they're getting better and how it, they're evolving in terms of um, their professionalism. But I think this league is, a, is another important tool for, for, for uh, Mark Abbott, as Mark Abbott said, for PRO and for uh, Howard Webb, who runs PRO, uh, to, to develop some higher-level officials. Getting games is important, just like a player. You want to develop players, you want to develop officials, they need to get games, high-level games. No, I agree. And, of course, you know, uh, seeing our officials getting bigger and better, you like to see them in those important CONCACAF Champions League uh, knockout matches, the World Cup itself, World Cup qualifying within the Confederation of uh, CONCACAF. I I mean, this is a level where we have to see – not just the players develop and get better, but our referees and our match officials get better. You know, linesmen also need, or should I say referees assistants, I should say, not linesmen anymore, but they do do manage the lines anyway. But, you know, they have to get better. Fourth official has to get better. You know, if we're going to be taken seriously as a nation of, you know, fantastic players, which that's finally coming through, uh, referees that know the laws of the game, whether they get rewritten or brand new laws get written, you know, we got to make sure that they are on top of the situation and moving forward. And of course, as we've already said, you know, this is good to see MLS players on um, players on MLS sides that have those two teams that have been on uh, either championship level, like Red Bulls two, Sporting Kansas City two, Philadelphia Union two, or those teams that are like in USL League One, like Fort Lauderdale CF or uh, New England Revolution 2, you know, and Toronto FC 2, you know, we got to make sure that these teams, you know, these players get the feel of actual minutes being played so that they can move forward. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, the most important point about this is you can't develop players if they're not getting games at a competitive level doesn't necessarily have to be a high Division One level, but they have to get games when they're developing. And, and 
The thing I like about having reserve teams in a in a larger league with in, independent clubs, there are many things I like about Mexico. One thing I like is that you're allowed, uh, particularly Red Bulls. Red Bulls are a great example. I just don't do this just to to, uh, to pander to you because you're a Red Bull guy. But Red Bull, I, I um, since I watch so much of the Bundesliga, and I've taken a bit of an interest in Salzburg the last few years, not really watching them closely, but enough because of Jesse being there, but um, also because I, I watch a lot of Leipzig and I watch, watch a lot of Red Bull New York. So that's obviously a link. There is a, there is a clear stylistic uh principle was kind of got broken by Chris Armas at Red Bull New York. That's why he's no longer there, but a clear style of play and playing principles and style of player being developed within the Red Bull system, whether it's in Salzburg, whether it's in Leipzig, whether it's in New Jersey. So uh, it's important to have those guys because people have said to me, Oh, well, why can't they just loan guys out to independent, to, to Richmond or to, uh, to, uh, um, Tampa Bay Rowdies or whoever, um, Charlotte Independents, et cetera, to USL teams. Um, we, and, when I, and when obviously I worked for the Fort Lauderdale Strikers, we took a number of guys on loan. We had um, Connor Chernowski who came on loan from D.C. United. We had Richard Sanchez who later became a really good goalkeeper right on loan. A couple guys from the Galaxy we had on loan, but um, this is before they started Galaxy 2. Um, I don't like it. I mean, if you just have a random team with random tactics, I can see. I mean, the, uh, uh, teams like Chicago have no clear style identifiable with them, right? So they can blow them guys right. out. That, that's okay. Uh, Houston has no clear style identifiable with them. But in the case of Red Bull, there's a clear way of playing. There's a cl- clear philosophy that comes down from Red Bull in Austria. And I think for guys coming through the Red Bull Academy in New Jersey, you want to be able to play that same way but get competitive games. That's why it's been so good to have Red Bull 2 have the Red Bull NTSL team in the past, the Red Bull PDL team in the past, right? All of these, these things that where you get Red Bull coaching, you get the same system, you're set up in the same formation, same pr- pr- uh, uh, principles of pressing, um, which is why Jesse Marsh, as a manager, has been able to move seamlessly from, from New York to Leipzig uh, as an assistant, then to Salzburg, now he's coming back to Leipzig, top four Bundesliga club, Champions League, uh, as the head coach, because the system, the style is the same. So that's why I don't like the idea of loaning guys out to random uh, clubs in the USL, nor do I like the idea of a reserve team playing in non-competitive matches in a reserve league. So I think Red Bull is a perfect example of why, you, why the system has to be like this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. And I and I appreciate you pandering to me. I love it. I absolutely <laughs> love it. But, uh, <laughs> But for those that were, you know, against this idea, for those that were against it, you know, look, we understand, or at least I kind of do understand how some people feel about why is MLS getting involved in the the Division Three League? Why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? And I can understand their beliefs in, I guess, a traditional pyramid uh, of, of, you know, of what goes on in Europe and what goes on in South America or everywhere else around the world. What would you say to some of those people that were, are basically feeling, you know, this is not natural? I mean, obviously there are in Germany, in, you know, there are those yeah, clubs that, yeah. that does well, what have. Yeah, it's not natural. No, I, I was going to say, okay, so maybe I'm overly into the German system, and I, I can be, I, I, I admit that, okay, I admit maybe my biases are even today with Switzerland winning and 
in France, uh, against France. I'm hailing it as a, uh, well, they won on penalties, but they advanced a great victory for the Bundesliga because that's the league, that's the system I like the best, the German system. So maybe it's because I'm so partial to the German system that, I, to me, I don't see anything wrong with it because the German, German teams all have two teams floating down the pyramid. Now, it's true in England they don't. It's true in South America. Generally, they don't. It's true in a lot of other places in Europe they don't. But in Germany, we're play- I mean, they've won a World Cup recently. We'll see how they do tomorrow against England. But they're, they're developing players at a higher rate, uh, quality players, I would say, than any other country uh, outside of France. And France, a lot of it has to do with their immigrant communities. But I don't know that their academies and their player development infrastructure is necessarily as good as Germany's. I think Holland and Belgium are very good. Um, by the way, Belgium has some of these teams, the lower uh, reserve teams in their lower divisions. But um, I, I would put the German system, the German pyramid of clubs, the German system of player development up against anyone in the world. And they do it this way. Um, so I, I, that's why, I, to me, it's like, I think a lot of people just watch England and they say, oh, well, the Premier League has its own reserve league and they don't put their reserve teams in the championship or League One or League Two. Well, but in Germany they do. In Spain they do. So I don't think it's unnatural at all. The thing I do think is unnatural is this idea of having two or three different Division Threes. I mean, that, I I, I agree, is is ridiculous. Um, But that's the fault of U.S. soccer. That's the fault of U.S. soccer not organizing the pyramid. I think it's, it's to be... Honest, it's, it's ridiculous, even more ridiculous at the adult amateur level where we have a bunch of competing leagues. We have teams that are in multiple leagues. I mean, I deal with this with the teams I deal with here locally in South Florida where um, there's one team I deal with uh, that, I, that, I, that I do some work with that is in five different leagues, including NPSL and UPSL with their national leagues, and then three regional leagues. Uh, they're all really regional leagues because NPSL is the Florida division or the Sunshine division, as they call it, and UPSL is the, the, the Central Florida division. Um, but, yeah, this is, the, uh, this is the way it works in this country, um, and that's because of the lack of leadership from U.S. soccer. So I think that part is unnatural. I don't think the part about having reserve teams in competitive lower divisions is unnatural. And I was going to say I was going to agree with you about that because obviously when you have clubs that have been in the NPSL like um, FC Motown that's in Morristown, New Jersey, now all of a sudden it's like they, uh, they've been in NPSL for a good long time. Then all of a sudden there's wind saying, well, it sounds like NPS, you know, Motown might be moving out of NPSL to go to USL League 2. But in reality, they're still in NPSL, but they do have a USL League 2 uh, side that's handling both, you know, both yeah. fourth yeah, division yeah, yeah. leagues, yeah. and 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 you think to yourself, you know, well, how is this possible? Well, look, this is why. I mean, you don't want to say it's the world, the wild wild west, but you know, how do you allow a club to funny. have one side in the MPSL and the other side in USL League Two? No, that is that is the, it is the wild west. So I like I said, I one of the. Teams I deal with, has a, they're in UPSL and they're in NPSL. Actually, they're not the only teams I deal with. It's in UPSL and NPSL. Um, yeah, they, they, they have, they, have uh, they register players in both leagues, and, and the players go back and forth. Uh, because you have to also get guys games. This is the thing, as I've been saying. For young players, you have to get them games. And um, the, the short season of USL League 2 and of NPSL uh, both lend itself to, if you have 
really good, promising players, you're going to want to get them 20 games instead of 10 um, over the summer months. So um, you, want to, you want to have a team in both leagues. There's a, there's a club in, in, uh, in Lakeland that was actually co-founded by Chris Economides, who ran USL for many years, that has um, put teams in four or five different leagues. Really impressive club there, uh, including, obviously, USL League. Uh, Accommodates came, came from, uh, obviously, Rochester Rhinos and Carolina Railhawks, but then USL League office. But then you know, he put his team in the UPSL also and in a couple other leagues because he wanted to get guys games. So even a guy who was a former executive at USL, one of the top executives, decided when he, had it, when he started his own team, yeah, I, I'm loyal to USL, but I also need to get – I, I need to get my guys other games, so I'm going to put them in other D4 leagues. Didn't go to NPSL, interestingly enough. I think that's uh, probably a no-no if you're associated with USL. But did put guys in, uh, um, in, in, in UPSL, put a team in UPSL. And actually uh, um, eventually took UPSL, uh, uh, really did well in UPSL, but uh, took that UPSL more seriously, the UPSL league maybe more seriously. So I think that this is a problem if we don't have an organized adult amateur structure at the D4 level that is national, but then you have regional, regional leagues that are all part of the same structure. So what you're also seeing is teams playing in UPSL in the spring uh, or in, in, then going to uh, NPSL or USL League 2 over the summer, then going back to UPSL in the fall. Oh, that's another one now that's in Texas and is in, is in Florida. Um, so that to me is a big problem and U.S. soccer has to step up and show some leadership uh, now I thought it was a D, D4, D5 problem now it's a D3 problem too to get back to your original point so U.S. soccer at some point like I said I'd like to see USL leave D3 um, and really focus on D2 and, and at the same time U.S. soccer basically warn NISA off of D2 and tell NISA no you, you can't have a D2 USL is a D2 D3 will allow you to, to handle kind of the independent side of it, MLS to handle uh, the develop, player development side of it. Um, if, if there aren't boundaries set by the governing body, you get chaos, and that leads to, as you said, you, your term was absolutely right, the wild, wild west. That's what this has become. Yeah, and, and this is the thing that really bothers me a little bit, and you know, like I said, I'm not against developing players. I'm not, hel- I'm not against helping, you know, our American players get better, more minutes, more time, more ability to go out on the pitch and, you know, prove to everyone around the world that we do have players that can play this game around the world. They just need an opportunity, not just within, you know, our leagues, but across the globe. But this is where I get worried about, There's no real sustainable, true, you know, single league in the pyramid outside of Major League Soccer, which we all know is the first division. USL Championship is the second division. Now you got everything muddled up. You got two leagues right now in Division Three. You got three leagues in Division Four. Whatever below the amateur level is, you know, or, or semi-professional clubs, leagues, whatever, U.S. Adult Soccer Association, the NAIA, now you have U.S. Club Soccer, Say Soccer, and yep. then you have thrown in there the U.S. Youth Soccer, the AYSO, which my, my best friend was a part of back in the, early, back in the seven, late 70s, and early 80s. And, 
there's, yeah, there's another, yeah, there's and, another and you're also counting I, collegiate soccer too. Yeah, there's another league I've been tipped off is going to be starting uh, first in California uh, to compete with U.S. club soccer in the very near future. I, maybe I'll get more details about that when I have them. But so the, the chaos, the Wild West, the, the governing body not stepping in and setting boundaries, the governing body being more concerned with money and cash flow. I mean, money is, seems to be the, the only thing that motivates U.S. US soccer, uh, as, as we've talked about repeatedly in this, uh, in this show. And now they're paying more legal fees than they are in terms of uh, anything having to do with the sport itself, right, because of all the lawsuits that they're fending off. Um, but they, uh, they have allowed this chaos to fester. Uh, and I think part of the reason also they're letting the chaos fester now at the Division Three levels because the NASL has sued them, uh, major antitrust lawsuit, as we know. And so they want to say to the judge, hey, and to the court, look, we're allowing all these other leagues to exist. It's the NASL's fault that they couldn't, they couldn't hack it. We didn't actually put the scales against them because we're permitting all these other leagues to, take, to, to, uh, uh, to, uh, to survive in this kind of deregulated, chaotic environment that U.S. soccer has, uh, has, has nurtured the last uh, 10 years. Now, it used to not be like this, right? I, I, when, um, when I worked for the NASL and we got D2 sanctioning, very clearly USL was, was told you're going you're gonna to apply for D3. And we had a D1, we had a D2, we had a D3, we had two D4s at that point, not, not the six or seven wild, you know, crazy amateur of what's happening at the adult amateur level. Because you mentioned the three that we know of, UPSL, NPSL, and, um, and USL League 2. There's also now NSL, as I mentioned, has started in Florida and in Texas and California in the three big states, but they're going to go national. And then there is also now NISA going in with their NISA nation trying to link all these regional leagues, the Gulf Coast League, the Great Lakes League, the Rocky Mountain League, all, all of these kind of adult amateur leagues that survive in, in, in regional things and link them. So we might have five or six national D4s. So U.S. soccer is turning around and saying to the NASL, look, you, the fact that, that uh, as a D2 uh, you collapse is it, not because of us. Because of course, the NASL has filed an antitrust lawsuit against U.S. soccer saying that they were uh, in collusion with Major League Soccer to prevent NASL from competing with MLS. Um, so the question now is, is this a temporary situation when the NASL lawsuit is, uh, is adjudicated one way or another, whether the NASL wins um, or, and gets whatever relief they're going to get at this point because the league hasn't played in four years, um, or U.S. soccer wins and is vindicated uh, for, for operating um, the pyramid in this manner, uh, will this then after it, will there be some sort of solution where U.S. soccer steps in and says, okay, now we're going to set some boundaries, we're going to set some rules, we're going to stop the predatory practices between the leagues. Because the other thing that's happening that's so important is leagues are poaching teams from one another. So it's not like the leagues exist in vacuums and you're saying, oh, it's ridiculous that you have three D3s, no other country has that, but at least they kind of exist and, and form their own niche. Theoretically, that would be the case, but instead they're just poaching teams from one another, right? I mean, I would... I know, Daniel, you've done a long monologue about Miami FC. I obviously worked with that team, uh, and, and we were through four or five leagues while I was there. I mean, if you include the leagues that we had committed to and never played in, we were through, I think, uh, one, two, three, four, five leagues. Yeah, we never played in the, in the NPSL Founders Cup, um, but we committed to that league. So NASL, NPSL, uh, NISA, and USL. So, you know, mm -hmm. and part of it is, 
USL was ready to poach Miami FC from NISA to hurt NISA. They were ready to poach Oakland. In fact, they, they were trying to poach Oakland before they were poaching us. Uh, we ended up going first, but Oakland has now gone also. Same time, NISA's poaching teams from NPSL. Don't think NISA is innocent in this. And then we know MLS poaches teams, and we know uh, USL poaches teams from NASL, that this stuff used to happen all the time. So um, unless U.S. soccer is in the setting, come in, draw the line, you're going to continue to have this chaos. Yeah, and, and that's the one thing I think we have to stop. And, and you're looking at the current leadership of uh, U.S. soccer, and, you know, look, I, I mean, I don't know what Cindy Parlo Cohn is doing. I know she's the current interim president of U.S. soccer. I don't know if she's the permanent president of U.S. soccer. We all know now, that, well, we've known this for a while, but still, though, that the president of U.S. soccer is just a uh, smokescreen position right now because it's really up to the board. It's, it's the board of directors yeah. that runs the sport. It's not the president. I mean, yeah, sure. Sunil Gulati, who was, you know, a soccer guy and everything, and, uh, you know, he, he had a lot of clout to run the, uh, you know, the sport in, in our country. And let's be honest, I mean, I'm not trying to trash Cindy Parlo Cohn, but the truth is, what is she doing? I mean, you know, she had a, a news conference with the U.S. soccer media about the whole uh, situation with the women's team, you know, they, they're, they're not getting the bonuses like they should, like the men do. You know, this is what's been going on. Yet the men, you know, like, the, you know, many have written, like, like Jonathan Tannenwald from, uh, in Philadelphia for the Philadelphia Daily News. You know, look, the men are still working on an old CBA contract that hasn't been renewed for like the last two or three years. So, I mean, if, if U.S. soccer is not going to fix the issues with the women, they're not going to fix the issues with the men. How are we going to know they're going to fix the issues of the pyramid that is still in utter chaos? Well, they're not. Okay, so, so you mentioned uh, Cindy Parlo-Cohn. She, has, um, she doesn't seem to have taken an active interest in, in any of this stuff. Uh, Cordero uh, kind of did, but not really. So this is where we've kind of gotten. Everybody was really anxious to get rid of Sunil Gulati because they felt like he and Dan Flynn had accumulated too much power and that they were making arbitrary decisions. They were not consulting with the board. They were effectively running it as a personal fiefdom, U.S. soccer. However, Sunil was, you know, working like mad, right? You know, he, he was in touch with everybody. And every shareholder, everybody knows Sunil in, in, in soccer in this country. Not everybody knows Cindy Carlo Cohen. A lot of people didn't know Carlos Cordero. Now, three years later, three and a half years later, three, three yeah, about three and a half years since, since the uh, AGM in Orlando. That was in early February 20, 2018. What I hear from shareholders is, you know, we didn't know how good we had it with Sunil. We didn't know how good we had it with Dan Flynn. The thing is utter chaos right now. I'm not kidding. And these are a lot of these people, no. people who were against Sunil, wanted to get Eric Winalbin or Kyle Martino or some sort of reformer, um, saying, you know what? The devil you know is better than the devil you don't know because what has ended up happening is that there's complete chaos. These people can't make decisions without the board. Sunil could make decisions because he knew everybody. He knew everything about the sport in this country, for better or for worse. And I, I'm not a fan of it, right? I was strongly opposed to him. 
But I, I'm kind of falling into this camp too with these that these other people are in now, basically saying, you know what, maybe maybe it wouldn't be the worst thing if Sunil came back because he knows what he's doing, and we we can trust that he understands these issues. He knows who, who he knows who, who to call at, at, at even these adult amateur leagues. I, I don't think uh, um, the people who have soccer now quite know what what's going on. And then you have guys, you have a lot of expertise that's left the building. You know, I I, uh, I don't like the fact that Brian Ramidi isn't there anymore. I don't like the fact that Dan Flynn's not there anymore. I don't like the fact uh, that there are other people who have left um, that, that, that were institutionalists. Whether you, you thought, I know people complained that these guys were making too much money. I, I, I agree with that. But to see what it, what's happened since everybody has left, I'm concerned. So, um I know I'm, I, maybe I'm giving a, a little bit of a, a scoop here. I know it's something people are talking about privately, but I'm saying it publicly on your show, Daniel. There are a lot of people who didn't like Sunil, wanted him out three and a half years ago, who were saying, you know what, maybe we made a mistake. Not maybe we made a mistake. We made a mistake. Um, we were, Obviously, we would prefer to have a Kyle Martino or uh, uh, someone like that, a reformer, Steve Gans, somebody like that running the, the, the Federation. But absent of that, we would prefer – in hindsight, Sunil still be there, and Dan still be the uh, the executive director than what we've got now. So that's where we're at with U.S. soccer. Nobody is happy with the way things are being run currently. Currently, and of course, if you follow Paul uh, J. Lapointe on Twitter, he's not happy either. You know, he's running the no, uh, no. U- some of his. He's running what the third division of uh, USASA right now in the re- third in the region three. You know he's not happy. He's expressing his Paul, Paul uh, disgust with what's going there. on. Paul is another guy that could have been the the, uh, the president of US Soccer, right? Another guy who knows kind of this stuff. He stepped aside and back there at Winalda, um, but you know he, he he's another guy. There are a lot of reformers like him who who are more disgusted than ever. Um, and like I'm saying, I'm talking to people in the reform camp who are telling me, look, we don't want, we, it's not that we like Sunil, but now we're seeing how bad things are without him. At least he was a guy who knew we existed, whether he was trying to screw us or not. You know, he knew he could, he, he knew, he knew, he, I mean, he had some sort of sense of the institution and understanding of the, the layers of soccer in this country and had certainly worked his way to the top. He hadn't just been handed, um, the position by virtue of being someone's banker, which is what happened with Cordero, or being a former player like Cindy Parlo Cohen. Now, maybe she still grows into being a great president. Um, but there's a feeling that there are a lot of important matters that um, aren't being dealt with as, as urgently uh, now as they were with Sunil. And it was, it's not just Sunil. Again, Dan Flynn also. Uh, those two guys not being there is, is, is creating uh, – uh, some problems. And, and again, it's something I'm surprised to report. I, I thought everybody was relieved and felt like Sunil, uh, Sunil, who was effectively the extension of Alan Rothenberg, um, and then um, Flynn, the combination of them, they've basically been in power for 20, for two decades or more. So I thought, okay, fresh blood, this is, this is good. Uh, even though I hadn't backed Cordero, I thought this is good. You know, Cordero is going to change a lot of things. Um, I still don't totally dislike Cordero, if I'm honest with you. I think that there were some, he had some good intentions. But, yeah, the actual administrating of the organization has gone down the tubes without Sunil as the president and, and Dan as the executive director, period. So that's why we get all this chaos now. Now 
maybe we'll have 10 Division threes because everybody feels like they can, they can have a league, and if they meet the standards, um, they, uh, they uh, uh, will we'll, we'll run a league. Whereas I will tell you, Sunil Gulati, to his credit, when we, were, when we at NASL were fighting with USL uh, in, in 2009, he got us all in a room, multiple occasions, or got us all on the phone. Same thing in 2016 and 2017. Got everyone in the room. Got everyone on the phone. Ran interference. Tried to get people to talk to one another. Uh, you could allege, as the NASL has alleged in their lawsuit, um, that he was doing what he was doing to protect MLS, uh, given his, his relationship as the founder of that league and, and also his relationship with the commissioner, Don Garber. However, the, the, the point remains, he was in the middle of everything. Right now, we don't see that. We see a leadership void, Daniel, which no one is stepping into other than chaos. Yeah, I agree with you there. I mean, even though um, I have to say, I mean, so far, national team-wise, I think we're doing well at the moment with these young up-and-coming players uh, that are going to play not just in MLS but in Europe. But I will say this. I think at the moment, I'm not going to say it's a smokescreen, but it's a great diversion right now to see how these young players are going to do, what they did already in the Nations League against both Honduras and Mexico. Now we're going to have to wait and see what they're going to do in the Gold Cup. Uh, it's not going to be them, of course. It's mostly going to be an MLS or at least players that did not play in the Nations League uh, that will be on this Gold Cup roster. But then once September comes around, Cardick, and if this group of U.S. players are not going to do the job, everything's going to come ahead again. Yeah. I think there's a bit of a reprieve now. Right, let's see how the, the women do in the Olympics. We expect to win the Olympics, but if we don't win the Olympics, um, there's always questions asked if we don't win a tournament. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens. But I, I think the most important thing now is will there be some sort of institutional structure, some sort of leadership from the top? That we don't know yet. That we have to wait and see. And that's really the key right now when we talk about it really US soccer and we talk about all these leagues, all these different divisions that are forming. Yeah. No, absolutely. I definitely agree with you there. And, you know, that's the one thing we have to get uh, concerned about. And, uh, you know, like I said, look, I'm not against any player getting more minutes, more time on the pitch and improve their technical ability. I'm more worried about the log jams that we're seeing below Division One and Division Two when it comes to these leagues that are performing or claiming to be, well, we're a Division Three league. No, we're a Division Three league. Oh, we're a Division Four league. No, we're a Division Four league. You're going to get this bickering all over the place. And as you've said, we're going to get either, okay, we're going to put uh, a team in NPSL, a team in UPSL, and a team in USL League Two. And meanwhile, it's going to be more about, well, why are there so many leagues in one division and you know everyone's going to look at us and laugh at us because you know you have all these leagues and everyone is jam-packed below the second division yeah yeah absolutely right and i think that that's that's something u.s soccer has to solve or at least try to solve at some point will they that's a great question i don't know uh, I, I think they would have um, in, in, in the past, previous regime, as we said, but now I, I don't know. 
And that's the, that's the number one concern I think is right now. I'm not concerned about our players. I think our players are at the level where they're going to dominate now that, you know, this new bunch of players that are playing in MLS or those that are going straight to Europe or those that are transferring from MLS to Europe. I think we are, we are now being given the respect that we finally got from these clubs in Europe, especially in Germany, uh, especially in England and in, in Spain and in Italy and hopefully as well in France. Um, now it's more about, well, how's your structure? And I think that's the more problem that we have right now. We ha- do we have a structure? Yeah. Of somewhat, yes. But it's more chaos and complexity than it is normality. And that's what I'm more concerned about. Yeah. I think it's very chaotic. And it, it, it's short-term, right? Everything is very temporary in how we operate things in, in, this, uh, in this club setup. In this in this setup of of, 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 of these kind of this chaotic multiple divisions at, at multiple uh, divisions at different levels. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Now, before I let you go, I want to tell you something. You and I uh, have been uh, praised by a, uh, a guy who uh, listens to both of our podcasts. Uh, his name is Harry. He goes on Twitter uh, at. Ramincol, R-A-M-I-N-C-O-L. He says, can't miss episode. We'll have to catch on the replay. But two of the great slash journalists in the U.S. How do you like those apples, my friend? You and I. I, I love we that. Are... I love Harry. I, I love the job San Antonio FC, his club, is doing at the D2 level. And, and that's one of the reasons I say, you know what? Keep Nisa out of D2, keep USL, get USL out of D3, let them both do what they do well, let this MLS thing happen, and then let's figure out the D4 thing. Things have to be consolidated there. Nisa is, uh, is maybe a malign factor there that needs to be dealt with. But, yes, thank you for that praise as always, Harry. Love the guy. And I actually love the way Absolutely. that club is run. That's one of the best-run clubs in, in, in all of uh, independent soccer. You know, I have to admit, I I thought there would be a problem when the Spurs took it over, took over that stadium. But you know, and uh, the USL club now in that stadium. But uh, I will say this: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, San Antonio Spurs of the NBA, they run uh, San Antonio FC, and I agree with you. They've been doing a fantastic job ever since the Scorpions uh, are no longer around, which was a shame because I thought they were doing excellent. Of course, winning uh, their NASL championship, their uh, their soccer bowl title, but unfortunately things had to come to an end there. But I'm very happy San Antonio FC has done a fantastic job. Great stadium, great atmosphere. They have really kept uh, the sport alive uh, over there in San Antonio, Texas. And, uh, you know, this is my dream card. I think, um, I I really think if the U.S. is going to host an under-20 World Cup, it's going to be in the state of Texas. I mean, how many soccer stadiums do we have in Texas right now? And, you know, you don't have to worry about changing time zones. All you got to do is go up and down, left and right, and you've got places, especially not just Houston and Frisco, but San Antonio, now Austin with two stadiums, the Bold, Austin FC. Uh, You also have Rio Grande Valley with their stadium. I mean, my God, that would be so fantastic to have an under-20 World Cup or even under-17 World Cup. Within the state of Texas, and you don't have to jump around all over the place. You leave that for the World Cup in 2026 for an un, for a youth 
World Cup tournament, definitely put it in Texas. That's all I have to say about that. Yep, I agree. I agree. Yep, absolutely. Well, I'm actually amazed that you are on with me today because I thought all those goals this afternoon. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Euro. Oh, my God. What a day of what a when day it, of soccer! What a day of football! I, I um, <laughs> it was uh, um, and, and you had you had epic comebacks. You had games that went end to end, unbelievable. I, I don't know that 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 we can top this. This is incredible drama for a round of sixteen. The thing that bothers bugs me is maybe the tournament goes downhill from here. Today was so good. I mean, today was uh, so rarely do you see a, a day quite like this in in in, in a major tournament. Uh, so the wonderful thing about this Euros is that it seems like the, the idea that we always see in major tournaments of teams playing for one nils and nil nils seems to have got out the window. Uh, and the key to that is that early goals, first half goals are changing games. Yeah. No, I agree with you. And um, just amazing. Croatia coming back down 3-1, now winning, then forcing extra time 3-3. Spain gets their two goals in extra time. They have to worry about penalties. France down 1-0, getting three goals, two by Benzema. Pogba's was a thing of beauty. The Swiss fighting back to make it 3-3 in regulation, especially the third goal at the death in the 90th minute, or at least inside second-half stoppage time, and that fantastic penalty kick shootout. Sadly, Mbappe was the one uh, who couldn't convert his great save from the keeper, but still, though, uh, what an amazing day of football it was over in uh, in the Euros today, just just amazing, and you just you couldn't stop, you couldn't keep your eyes off of ESPN today, Cardick. It was unbelievable, and this is where I'm hoping we'll get the same thing with the Gold Cup in July with some of these nations within Central America and the Caribbean. We know what Canada is going to do. We know what the U.S. is going to do. We all know what Mexico is going to do. But I want to see what these lower-level nations are going to do, especially in the CFU. I want to see you know, what Curaçao is going to do. I want to see what Jamaica is going to try and do, El Salvador, Martinique, you know, Suriname, Grenada, and then, of course, before that, we have all these qualifying matches uh, that's going to be over in Florida, especially over in your neck of the woods in Fort Lauderdale at yeah. the Inter-Miami football. I'll still call it Lockhart. I don't care. Lockhart, yeah, the Lockhart, new Lockhart, Lockhart Stadium. I want to see what these nations are going to do and get those last three spots in the first three groups at the bottom position. It's going to be exciting. I can't wait. Yeah, same here. Same here. I'm looking forward to those uh, those qualifying games after the tournament. Yep, absolutely. All right, Cardick, I will talk to you at the first uh, post-match show for the USA, uh, waiting for their uh, opponent for uh, in that fourth position. So I will talk to you then. You have a good night. Take care and talk to you then, okay? Yep, thank you. Thank you. Carter Krishnar, World Soccer Talk, as we talk about the new Division Three League of Major League Soccer. And uh, it's just one of those things where, look, it's nothing wrong with what Major League Soccer is doing. And I really believe they're doing a great thing here. But the pyramid is a mess. There's a logjam. You've got MLS in the first division. You've got USL Championship in the second division. And then you have this insane amount of leagues gemmed within different levels below second division. 
like we've already said, USL League One, National Independent Soccer Association, NISA, and now MLS wants to be in the third division, fourth division, USL League Two, UPSL, NPSL, and then in the amateur level, you've got US Adult Soccer Association, obviously the semi-professional leagues, you've got NAIA, you've got US Club Soccer, US Youth Soccer, Say Soccer, AYSO, the American Youth Soccer Organization, and the NCAA in the collegiate levels. What I say is, take away the NCAA, the AYSO, and U.S. Youth Soccer. I'm not saying get rid of them. I'm just saying you've got to put them in a different level and not within the pyramid. You've got to just take them out. And that is, as I've said already, the NCAA, the AYSO, U.S. Youth Soccer, just move them out have them be put in their own league, in their own situation. If you, you know, and then with the rest, just flip a coin. Who's going to be third permanently? Who's going to be fourth permanently? If you're going to do, let's say, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, if we're going to have ten divisions, so be it. I understand, well, it's never going to work unless you have promotion relegation, which, fine, I understand that. But the truth is, we've got to start somewhere. We have to start somewhere before we can get into that mechanism. And as I've said in the many, many, many times in the past, I'm not against promotion relegation. I want to see it come to our leagues, to our pyramid permanently. I want it to come. But we have to be smart about it. We cannot insult people. Got to be smart about it. We got to make sure that we are all on the same page and not cause a verbal war. Because I'm telling you right now, we will get nowhere if we, will, if we do not have cool, calm, and collected dialogue to talk to the U.S. Soccer Federation and have them understand that if we are going to be taken seriously outside of player development, which is still important, obviously, we have to make sure, we have to make sure that all the ducks are in a row, we're all on the same page, and we are all going to be even, Stephen, with everybody, and we've got to make sure. I'm not against what MLS is doing. I think it's great that they're uh, starting their own league with intent of helping not just the MLS clubs that do have a two-side that are currently in USL Championship and or USL League One and move them there, but to also give other clubs that maybe were not considered to be USL material to give them an opportunity to develop their players or at least to have a club ready to go and perform. But obviously, it would mean that those USL uh, those MLS2 clubs, I should say, will still not be eligible for the U.S. Open Cup. And I think that's the most important thing. Obviously, it's, it's a tough thing to see, but the truth is, if that's in the rules, and MLS2 teams are not allowed in the Open Cup because they're not supposed to, so be it. Do not change the rules. Leave it as is. And when those players get an opportunity... To be in the Open Cup, they will. So that's all I'm saying. 
There's a lot of progress that needs to be made. There's a lot of situations that have to happen before we move in. All I'm saying is we got to be patient, more patient than normal. It cannot be forced down anyone's throats. We must make sure everything goes the right way. Until then, we just have to remain where we are. That's all I'm saying. If it happens, let's go for it. Let's do it. If not, if not, then let's hope that the change will come as quickly as possible. So we'll have to wait and see what's going to happen there. Time to talk about the New York Red Bulls as they fell at uh, the New England Revolution by final three goals to two. And then, of course, uh, the scoreless draw at Atlanta United. Let me say this about that New England match. For those that did not watch me on my Facebook Live videos, pre-game and post-game, especially post-game, you know, I thought the Red Bulls did play well. They just got beat badly by Carlos Heel in the first two goals, down 2-0 at half. The only time I thought they got a brain fart was the third goal. Gustavo Bo was fa- found a way to track uh, or to get that third goal, which was the killer goal to make it 3-0. But great job by both Patrick Lamala and Andreas Reyes to get those two goals to pull, at least to force the opportunity to get back. Sadly, one goal too many, and uh, the New York Red Bulls fell at New England in midweek action uh, by a final score of three goals to two. Uh, for the home side, the Revolution still undefeated at home. It would have been great to see the Revolution lose to the Red Bulls at home. Unfortunately, that did not happen. And all you can say is is that at least they did a good job. Not a great job, but they did a good job. And you're proud to see the talent that these kids have. They just need to do a little bit better with some of the moments that they had, they probably should have had at least a goal or two early in the first half. It probably would have been 3-3 if Drew Yearwood did not hit the far side corner uh, of the net and the ball went out. If he would have just aimed it a little bit better or if it would have dipped in a little bit more inside the far post or inside that corner, it would have been 1-0 to start the match and then it would have been probably a 3-3 match uh, if that opening goal was scored by Drew Yearwood. So you just have to say... Just some bad luck, and uh, you, nothing you can say to, you know, in my opinion, outside of the third goal that New England scored was terrible. Only that moment was terrible because they switched off. Now, my complaint of this match towards the Revolution was simply put this. I thought the player who scored the second goal, Dijon Jones, I thought he fouled the Red Bull player. I forgot who it was who got fouled, but I thought he got fouled. I didn't think it was simultaneous uh, accidental bumping into each other. I really thought that the Red Bull defender got fouled, and which was probably Sean Nealis. Um, he got fouled. No call there. Referee let it go, and then Heel does it again. Makes it you know, helps out with uh, Dijon Jones score that goal to make it two nil. I really thought that goal should have came back. I honestly believed it was a foul on New England, but the referees did not call it. VAR reviewed it, obviously, to review everything, 
and they did not call uh, the referee Sagaya to get to the VAR monitor to take a look and tell him, we believe this is a foul before the goal was scored, and we believe you should have, you should have away. I thought it was a clear and obvious error, but VAR said not. Referee didn't think it was a foul, and they get their goal. So that's all you can really say about that. But they got back into it on Sunday afternoon against Atlanta United. And all you can really say is a much better performance. They finally got a road result in their way. Scoreless draw. Not a boring draw at all. They were on the front foot. They were attacking. You would say for both halves, I thought 40 minutes each in both halves, they were the better side. The last five minutes plus stoppage time, Atlanta was the better side. But the Red Bulls, 80, uh, 80 minutes out of 90, they deserved that result. It was a scoreless draw, tough scoreless draw. They are still undefeated against Atlanta United, and they are still undefeated at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. They, <coughs> excuse me, uh, the Bobby Dodd Stadium game, which was their season opener, 2-1 victory, and then, of course, 3-1 victory in the next year, two goals by Bradley Wright Phillips, and then the following year, in 2018-2019, the 3-3 draw, which they were down 3-2, and then Bradley Wright Phillips, nice cross, past every defender of Atlanta, and then bang, it's in. Last year, Caden Clark with his first MLS goal in Atlanta. That's a win. And now the scoreless draw. So basically three wins, two draws, no losses at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. That is a hell of a run so far. But at Red Bull Arena, it, it's it's been so far three wins and a draw. Three wins and a draw. That is spectacular within itself. And we're going to find out late in the year, of course, when Atlanta comes to Red Bull Arena in November, uh, what's going to happen there. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be fun. It'll be amazing. You know, I thought Klamala had a goal. Didn't happen. I thought Duncan was going to get a goal. That didn't happen. Give credit to Brad Guzan, because the truth is that Brad Guzan was the only player in Atlanta in Atlanta for United, he was the only one that was doing a job. Yeah, sure, Atlanta United ratcheted up late in both halves, but I didn't see anything from them at all, all match long. So like I said, 80 minutes of football by Atlanta United, nothing. They tried to steal three points. They tried to sneak one in. Nothing happened. Carlos Coronel, better positioning in this matchup, better job of positioning himself to try and make saves, which he did. Four shots on goal, all four saved. Carlos Coronel had a very good uh, road match, and he was not in a bad position at all in that game, unless something else happened, nothing much. And I'll say this about Gerhard Struber. I I think he has done a fantastic job with these players, these kids. They're doing everything. Sadly, Andreas Reyes pulled a hamstring, or shall we say the turf monster got him, uh, and uh, 
what um, Struber said in the post-match press conference. Bit of a groin issue for Tom Edwards, but still, though, hopefully both, for both of them, it's not too bad. I'm assuming they're going to miss this match on the road on Saturday night at Orlando City. He's looking for revenge against the Red Bulls, but you know what? For now, it looks like it's going to be Aram Tarek. And the best thing is I want to thank all of you who are Red Bull supporters. Thank you for looking at my tweet about uh, this past Sunday as it's the last time this year the Red Bulls will not be playing on field turf or at least the synthetic grass at all. So I'm happy about that. Um, I know many of you are happy about that. And hopefully we'll see what happens. If New England will get a stadium, if Atlanta will get a stadium, probably not Atlanta. You'd like to think New England, but I don't know if they're going to get one either in the Boston area or in the uh, Providence, Rhode Island, or in uh, Foxborough Stadium area. They're going to build a new uh, soccer stadium over there. But I will say this. Um, for the revolution, I think it's time for them to finally get a new stadium. I know they have a new um, practice training facility uh, in the area, but the truth is, honestly, I think it's time that the Crafts open up the checkbook and build themselves a brand new freaking stadium. At whatever site you're going to find within Boston, somewhere in the Massachusetts area, maybe you have to go to Rhode Island if you find a spot, however you want to do it, to the crafts. Please, build a new stadium. Do it. Just go and do it. Build the stadium. It's time for this revolution side to get their new stadium. It's about time. Let's go for it. Let's go. However, and how, many, how much capacity you want, I don't care. Let's make sure it looks pristine and fantastic and beautiful. That's all I can say. So other than that, I want to thank my guest tonight, Carter Krishnar of World Soccer Talk, uh, talking about the new MLS Division Three League, ready to come in. And hopefully we will uh, get some more news as uh, this develops further down. They're ready to go in 2023 for this new league. So we'll see what happens. Don't forget this Friday night, NPSL Soccer Show. As we start the month of July with the NPSL Soccer Show, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be a lot of fun. I cannot wait. And I'll introduce my guests. I'll announce my guests for that show this coming Tuesday, tomorrow. And then off we go with another show. Hope to have a great guest for you as soon as I get word from him. And uh, ready to go. We're going to have some fun. So, my name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for listening to me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. You have a good night. Take care so long. And bye-bye for now.